like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Um, as always, I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, um, but I'm really, really excited. Today, I'm joined by Ann Pello, and um, she is she's written many things, and I'll let her talk about herself here in a minute. But we're going to be talking a little bit about the book From Teaching to Thinking together on this episode. So welcome, Anne. What? Why should people listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Heather. Hello. Um, why should people listen to me? Um, what my my hope is that people um, listen and listen to me as as a person in um, at, still finding my way in this landscape of early childhood, wanting to just puzzle out um, how we can continue to bring our our living into best alignment with what we care most about for childhood and for children um, and for ourselves as folks who who work with and care for children. So um, listening to me as a as a fellow thinker, a Uh fellow wonderer, um, a fellow practitioner. Okay, for sure. Great. Um, Well, I have to say I've read lots of your work. Um, and I appreciate it so much. And I just can't even believe that I get to talk to you about this newest <laughs> book today. I'm so excited. So we're going to, um, the, the book honestly is so packed. Like when I first started talking to people at Exchange Press about um, wanting to have you on the show, I was like, I'd have to have 700 conversations with her <laughs> to really dig deep into this book. And you, you co-authored it with Margie Carter. I should mention that too. Um, so we sort of have narrowed it down to a conversation about um, observing and, and maybe that will lead to some documentation. What I liked about your approach, and I promise the quote's coming, is that it's really much more about process than product. And anytime I think we can reframe something we're doing for young children in terms of the process and the humanity of it as opposed to the checklist we've got to get through or the goals we want to measure. Um, But I I love that you kind of give us permission here to do that. So the quote is, um, uh, 
it's part of a story you tell about Mandy, who's an early childhood educator, and there's sort of a, a problem behavior with a little boy that she's going to do some observing to try and figure out, which I think is a really common, relatable mm-hmm. <laughs> scenario. Yep. Yep. Um, and what, what you say here is, um, these few moments held a transformation of experience for Mandy. She shifted from classroom cop to curious observer. She advocated for Austin's goodness rather than admonishing him as naughty. She got a glimpse of another person's humanness and got to act on behalf of that humanness. Uh, That was powerful for me because most often when I'm talking to early childhood people about observation, it's either to measure their development or to solve a behavior problem. And, And this description of Mandy's experience is is a, a sh- such a shift mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it it was for her she in in sharing that experience that she had um she named like why my thinking got really shaken up here mm-hmm. um both my thinking about austin and the assumptions i'd made about him that that had led me to put my eagle eye on him um, but also my thinking got shaken up about what my practice of teaching can be, mm-hmm. that I can be an advocate for, an ally to children, rather than, as you say, someone trying to um, solve a behavior problem, keep control in the classroom, make sure um, everyone's sort of on track and we're mm-hmm. on time and and we're putting out fires. And as, as we go, if we can collect a little bit of data that's going to help us fill out the assessments that are mandated by our funders, then that's frosting on the cake. Sure. But, but instead, if, what, um, if we bring to children our curiosity, our delight in them, our awareness of them as, as full human beings, not as behavior issues, not as... Um, as something to be managed but as human beings that we're spending our days with and and who have the the um infinite um internal landscapes that we each have right Mm -hmm. that are shaping their lives then boy everything can change and we're, we're we're with them with our open hearts and our curious minds um and, and in that spirit, we get called into being more fully human, more fully alive, more fully present ourselves, not those classroom cops, not those assessors, evaluators, not someone trying to be objective to get data on children. Like, forget that idea. Let's just show up with open hearts and um, curious minds and, and be, be ready to be moved by the children that we're spending our days with. Yeah. So I'd love to to talk more about objectivity because I think that's um, very much how we're all trained in our teacher prep courses and the workshops that we go to and the forms that we're given. Um, We're all told to be very objective and to use, you know, objective language and avoid subjectivity. And and so part of me is okay with that. Like, I don't want to read somebody's object uh, or um, observation note that says he was really naughty. This was his worst day. 
Um, I think back to when I got a note from my son's teacher when he was one that said he'd been very ornery that day oh. and, um, and, and she wanted me to know what? and was anything going on at home. With him at home, please. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But also I have to tell you, she spelled ornery H-O-R-N-E-R-Y. Oh, I love it. Like, wow. So, so it's a great story and I'm glad I have it. But anyway, um, uh, it's hard to move away from those mm-hmm. that training that we've had and, and we're doing it with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love this idea of falling in love with the children we're observing and being fully present and fully human with them. Yeah. Yeah. And that idea of, um, as you say, that objectivity is asking us to, to somehow, um, to, to lock all of our humanness behind some wall and be with the children only with this little sliver of who we are with whatever our training is about child development and, um, and ages and stages and, and trying to keep a tab on where kids are developmentally rather than um, showing up with all, all of ourselves, all of who we are um, available to come to know who these children are. And, um, I love it. in the example you just shared about, um, you know, thinking that not being objective means we're saying, oh, this was a you know, pretty naughty kid or an yeah. <laughs> ornery, <laughs> that, 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 um, I wouldn't call that being subjective. Well, it is being subjective, but it's not in the way in which I would like to call us as a field into being sure. um, self-consciously subjective. If we're being self, uh, self-aware self with our subjectivity, then we're just talking about ourselves um, and our thinking about children's experience. So it's saying like, I can only ever watch um, Austin, this little guy and Mandy Strike, and only ever see what he's doing through the lens of my own um, experiences, my values, my worries, my awareness of the director um, who might pop in at any moment right. with some um, expectation of what she'd like to see me doing, my own um, upbringing that we don't stand on the furniture, mm-hmm. um, and here's this kid climbing up on the shelf. You know, the, all of that is with us all the time. Uh-huh. And so, what I think our work is is to get very um, aware of that, get, stay as clean as we can be about it, not to somehow shut all that off, that idea that we leave ourselves at the door somehow. <laughs> yeah. So we show up saying, yeah, I'm, I'm continuing on this journey of self-awareness, getting more and more articulate about what I value, becoming more aware of um, my cultural lens mm. and how that informs what I see and what I don't see. And um, informs the judgments I make about what I see it, um, get aware of where I feel squeezed in this field, where I feel pressures about accountability and assessments, and where I feel my own longings. Like, I, I, it's pretty darn charming that this little guy's <laughs> climbed up on a shelf to get a photo of someone he loves. Like, right. that moves me, and that should move me. Mm-hmm. And so, so this idea of being subjective, um, first off, acknowledges that we always are objective, but asks us to be quite, um, to work with that subjectivity intelligently mm-hmm. and in service of understanding the children so that we can see them through an awareness of, 
of the lenses that we bring. Yeah. Does that make it, sense? It does. And I think that's sort of what I, what I was thinking, you sort of articulated what I, what I was trying to to think about how to say when I said it's about process and not product. It's not about the compliance or the order or the, the happy boss or the, although those things are important, right? Like we want to feel like we're helping children and mm-hmm. we, we do mm-hmm. have to pay attention to what's expected to us. But, but that process of being fully there. And I, I wondered as I heard you talking, if that permission to be our more authentic selves in this observation process doesn't open our hearts to be more accepting, more generous towards the things we're watching and seeing in the children around us than a simple checklist or discipline Mm. plan we're trying to write up. Absolutely. I think um, I've worked with and been in lovely conversations with many, many people in early childhood over many years and in many countries. And no one I've met has said, I came into this work um, so that I could assess children um, in terms of their ages and stages, developmental markers. Not a single person ever has said that. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, every person has said, "Um, I am delighted by children. I every day experience my time with children as a gift, as, as a wellspring of joy, as an as a invitation into humility, um, an invitation into being more human, into seeing the, the ways in which we all um, are, are finding our way into this world together, finding our way into those big questions, who am I and who am you, uh, who are you and, and who are we together, who, who what can we create together yeah. when we give ourselves over to this shared thing called life? And, yeah. and, and that's what we, that's what calls us to do this work. It's, there's, um, there's n- very little other reward than the reward that comes from um, our hearts being wide awake and alive and our minds being invigorated and finding community to do that in. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, hope uh, my hope would be that people, as as we see children's humanness, we're called into greater humanness ourselves, which allows children you know, allows us right. to see. It's all a cycle. Yeah, it just yeah. continues to unfold. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you've you've used the phrase a couple of times now, delighting in children. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about why that, how that's different from saying, oh, I just love kids or I just really like mm-hmm. being with kids. Like, what's the distinction? Right. I love that language. I think I, I first saw it in Margie and Deb's book, Training Teachers, when they outlined the core dispositions of, of master teachers, but I think about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what's the distinction? What does it mean, I guess, really to delight in yeah. Oh, I love that question, Heather, the way you're framing that alongside that um, phrase we hear so often, oh, I love kids, I love <laughs> Done kids. a lot of job interviews for teenagers. <laughs> I've heard yeah. it so many times. I've always loved kids. I started babysitting when yes. I was not. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And as I was listening to you framing that question, um, one thing that sparked for me was the, um, the, the nuance and delight that that has a humility to it or a um, a giving over of oneself to the other 
rather than a centering of myself in the dynamic. If I'm delighted by children, I'm, I, my, um, I'm captivated by them. I'm, I'm perplexed by them. I'm um, surprised by um, the insights they offer. I, I'm changed because of the interactions we have by what I hear from children, what I see with children. And that, that is um, sort of foregrounding the children, I think, in a way that's different than, well, I love kids. I have, you know, and certainly there's love, there's falling in love, there's yeah. open heartedness that comes with love. But I don't know, I'm just, I'm thinking as I'm speaking that yeah. something sparked for me there about that. Yeah. What's, what's foregrounded or what's, where is our attention sure. if we're delighted by children? Sure. And I think just that idea of, of putting that in the foreground, changing our perspective in that way. We say, I like kids. It's really still about us. Mm-hmm. We say, you know, there's a delight in being with them. I think that sort of shifts mm-hmm. the focus a little bit, yeah. um, at least in my mind. Kind mm-hmm. of, I can think about that. Um, so, so I want to shift over to, and, and throw out another quote to kind of lead into going from this observation to documentation, because that's kind of another buzzword that we hear a lot about. Is, Certainly yeah. people um, are, are interested in it. Um, and I'll tell you this, your, your chapter here about the documentation piece, as opposed to like assessment, um, changed, changed my thinking a little bit because I was very satisfied in my, I don't do elaborate documentation panels, but I do take lots of photos Mm -hmm. and I would include then a little blurb about what children were practicing or learning. And that was, Uh you know, for the families, um, also for the grad students I'm working with. And certainly there's a place for that, but, um, uh, it's, it, it can be so much deeper, I, Mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm thinking now. So here's, here's the, the quote I want to, to throw in here again and hear you talk about, um, our stories change how people understand and value children and childhood. They can catch people off guard as Anne Lamott says, and break in on small bordered ways of thinking about childhood and the purpose of early education and the roles of adults in children's learning. I feel like you've, we've kind of, you've kind of talked about that mm-hmm. some, but again, it was just very powerfully written <laughs> yeah, thank and you. caught yeah. my attention. So I, I'd yeah. love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I, um, the way in which documentation has sort of become formalized in our field is a very obvious extension of this mindset about assessment and um, tracking development and our kids meeting milestones and our teachers teaching useful academic skills like that, that mindset of learning Mm -hmm. um, and, and, Mark developmental milestones, and so the stories have been about about that. Right. Here's what. Yeah, and I use the phrase "making learning visible" a lot mm-hmm. when I'm yeah. talking about yep. this, and I I still believe that that's important. But but I yeah, it goes a bit further. You know, <laughs> we've missed the opportunity uh-huh. to um, again write ourselves into the story as people who are thinking deeply about children's thinking. So rather than uh, focusing only on what children are learning and what the children are learning, um, here's an opportunity for us to think about what we're learning or what we're wondering. And in the process of doing that, then we, we learn and wonder more. Uh-huh. So if, um, you know, in this little example that we've been sort of referring to this little guy 
climbing up on these bookshelves in order to reach a photo of someone he loves. He's a toddler. He's two years old. He's up on the books. Like there's one story that's about him being naughty and having to manage his behavior, mm -hmm. um, which would not be a story we would write, I imagine. But another story that could be written about that would be about his gross motor skills, that he is skillful at climbing, um, reaching. He held the photo with a pincher grip. Like there's all this uh -huh. stuff that we could say about that that absolutely diminishes what the story really was about what touched my heart about that moment um, was the relational aspect you know as as mandy the teacher was telling me about this moment of a child crawling breaking a rule to climb climb up on furniture to get a photo um, so he could bring it to the person he loved it's like that's a story of relationship that's uh -huh. a story of um, uh, of being willing to break a rule on behalf of connection. Uh -huh. Like that's a deep human story. And we can tell that story um, again with, by including our own experience in that. As I was watching Austin, my initial response was a concern for the rules and for safety. Uh -huh. um, but as I watched what unfolded, um, my heart, um, really cracked open to learning more about how valuable relationships are, even to a toddler mm -hmm. um, who is pre-verbal, but a skillful climber. And he was eloquent today about how, how relationship matters and how love is a driving force in our lives. And that's a really different story, right? That's like a, a human story that does I think start shifting, like breaking open those bordered worlds, those bordered ways of thinking yeah. about what childhood is about and what is teaching about and what's education about. It's like, what if it's about that? What if it's about all of us just continuing to learn from each other about yeah. inhabiting this world with as much generosity and kindness and empathy as we can? Yeah. And there, there was definitely a time in my career working with young children where my focus would have been, and, and, and my goal was to prove that I was a teacher, to prove that I knew mm -hmm. what I was doing. And there was a, at that time, what I did with observing Austin in that moment would have been very different. And it would have been more about describing the fine motor and the gross motor. And, mm -hmm. um, and I do think that's helpful. I, I don't want to diminish that for people who are listening, but then it, I, I'm sort of to a point now where I would feel like what an honor it was to, to see that little boy take that risk for love and relationship and um and, and that it, the, the moment required very little more from me yeah. like that's yeah. austin's moment exactly <laughs> it does require though this very big shift in you and a skillfulness in you to allow a moment like that to unfold and to witness it in that way and that's that that um internal landscape those the dispositional landscape we can cultivate as educators and in the educators we work with that um that is as you say a, a difference from that instinct to show that i'm teaching by doing something i'm yeah. i'm really i'm worth the title <laughs> yes exactly because look i'm demonstrating to you. <laughs> um but if someone had come into the room and seen mandy watching a child climb up and get a photo uh -huh. uh, that takes a different level of confidence for her to be able to say no hang on mm -hmm. look what we're we as you say we are getting to witness the power of love <laughs> and 
we should both be on our knees in gratitude that we yes. have a moment in our day. How many people are going to get a moment like that today? Mm -hmm. So that's deep skill. And there's work to, to be done for all of us to continue to practice articulating that and sure. articulating you know, it from a place of confidence. Like, I'm an awesome educator, because <laughs> but I've seen and I right. know enough to be humbled by that. Yeah. And even just thinking about what I just said a minute ago about how, you know, at one point I was this way, but now I'm this way. Even then there's a moment of like, I said that because of my own ego. Like I said that to say <laughs> again, how, how far I've progressed and how much you should all be impressed by me. And so there's oh, always sure. that little element. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also as you're describing someone else, maybe coming into the room during that, there's another layer of mm -hmm. sort of relationship and trust. We have to be working on the relationships with the people who might come in and see us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In the classroom. And that's a whole other layer of difficulty Oof. and commitment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it asks not only those of us who are spending days with children to be increasingly skillful at describing to whoever walks through that door what we're thinking and seeing and stand with me and and look and listen uh -huh. but it asks folks those of us who work with educators who are directors or program administrators or um who run lab schools or yeah. do teacher training um to see the educators with that same heart that we hope the educators are seeing the children yeah. that same um baseline of um humility and trust that something important is happening here. And my first work is to pause and um, give myself over to try to understand this moment that this mm -hmm. educator is having rather than come in with my own set of assumptions and expectations yeah. and my own little script running. Like I wanna see first um, the competence of the educator just as we would hope an educator first sees the competence of the child. Yeah. Um, so, so that sort of, um, and I, I know that this could be a whole other episode, but, um, would you talk a little bit about the thinking lens model? Because you, mm -hmm. you just discussed sort of some lenses that we're seeing things through and it's a, it's a recurring conversation throughout this book. Yeah. Um, so can you, can you give us a quick yeah. thumb up yeah. of that and how it works? Yeah. The, the thinking lens is a particular protocol that that continues to evolve. It was seeded in some um, in a beginning commitment years and years ago by a group of educators that I was part of um, to let go of scripted curriculum and pre-planned activities, all uh -huh. you know, planned out for a month. But like, oh, we want to be in a more responsive relationship to what's unfolding in the classroom. Um, but it's pretty terrifying to just like let go of everything. Like, okay, well, I'm putting down all my little curriculum books and what am I supposed to hold on to? Um, and what can I hold on to that will help me keep my attention focused on the children from that place of delight and curiosity and humility and, um, and, and a commitment to joining them in their thinking rather than asking them to stop what they're doing to think about what I think they should right, think about. Right. So what could we use? What could we use? And we just, um, developed what is has grown into this thing called the thinking lens, which is a protocol that asks us to be self-aware, um, as self-aware as we can be, which is an ever-evolving process. Right, like, right. 
what is it about this moment that's touching my heart? Why am I paying attention to this? There's a lot I could pay attention to any moment in the classroom. Why yeah. this? Yeah. And what about this is intriguing me? And what about this might be engaging for the children? What, why, what's their perspective here? And um, how can I expand my thinking about it? So I'm not jumping into an assumption at my first interpretation is the right interpretation. Mm -hmm. What, how can I keep busting open my thinking? Um, and how can I do all of that thinking before I take an action? So that can be as quick as Mandy there watching this kid get up on the shelf and having that initial instinct. I see something I need to react right away. Uh -huh. Get down. That's it. Boom. Time out for you, bub. <laughs> Versus what if I take three breaths in which I notice, boy, I'm having a big reaction here. Why am I having that reaction? Uh -huh. Is there a need to act from that reaction or not? What might be happening here for this child is what's happening here. Where is the value that I see in that? And how can I be in service of that? Well, now I can take an action that, that comes from a different place than a reactive place. And it's this thinking lens can sound very belabored, but it also can be internalized in a dispositional way to just get self-aware stay always connected to our core values and to that place of curiosity, what's happening here for the children. I'm joining my attention to the children's attention. That's, mm -hmm. I think the, the key to the kingdom for us. Yeah. Um, that's a much gentler way. Yeah. <laughs> like there are times when I say things like, um, you know, what kind of, that's so, it's so the audacity of the teacher who thinks that mm. they know what a child is thinking or learning in that moment. And no, that's, that's maybe yeah. a harsher way to approach all of that <laughs> lovely process you just said. There is so much more to it. And if I love that idea of what if we just take the three breaths and mm -hmm. think, why am I um, responding the way I am? Why do I think what I think about this situation? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a, I think it's another good example of process versus product because I originally had just a little one page PDF with all the thinking lens questions. Yeah. And my goal was to like journal about things with the thinking lens. Uh -huh. Then I became, I, I realized it's much more useful for me to just sort of practice having those questions in my head so that in the mm -hmm. moment and in the process, I can engage with it rather yeah, than turning yeah. it into this academic. <laughs> yeah, it's so tricky because these tools we create always have that, that, that double edge to them. Right. Like, how can I internalize it? And then it's of absolute use. Or right. how can I formalize it and externalize it? And then it's just one more thing I have to yeah. be accountable yeah. to. And right. And I, you know, that having that one page thing is, is wonderful and it's hanging around different spots in my classroom mm -hmm. so that I kind of constantly am faced with, with those questions. Um, so it's become really useful for me. Um, but it's much more about it's skill that you develop with practice right. and you work right. on it and it doesn't just happen because today I woke up and decided to use the thinking lens. Exactly. I'll focus on question three. Right. <laughs> this week, yeah. it's, this week is question three. Um, I Ways that um, just calling out that audacity. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I mean, what a great provocation to just for all of us in this conversation today to think about that. Where is audacity useful in our lives, and where is it um, really inappropriate? And I like thinking of that word alongside that idea of attention. That there's a a guy whose book I read um, that is. 
I'm, the name is escaping me. The person is Matthew Crawford and he's written a book on attention and it's like a lot of neuroscience stuff that I didn't, and it's not early childhood. Stuff. <laughs> but so I, I really, I got a tiniest bit of uh-huh. um, understanding. But one thing he says early on is um, that attention is the thing that is most our own. It's this very intimate um, act of making something real. What we give our attention to is what becomes real to us. So the act of, um, conscripting someone else's attention is an intimate and fraught act. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think of that next to that word audacious. Like uh-huh. I have to really believe that it's <laughs> worth me disrupting what is real to that child right now mm-hmm. to interrupt it and sure. to claim that child's attention for my own rather than saying, I can say what I give my attention to is what's real to me. So I, what if I, make the thing that's most real to me, this child right mm-hmm. now, and what this child might be thinking about or poking at, trying to understand what is the, if I make that what's most real for me by giving that my attention, whoa, that changes everything for me, mm-hmm. rather than giving my attention to the rules that I carefully hand wrote and put on the wall, or <laughs> the, I know the assessments are coming, or the evaluator is going to be here next week, but no, what if what I make the primary focus of my attention be the children mm-hmm. and I join my attention to their attention, then the then that's a different kind of audacity. Then I'm <laughs> I'm gonna put that other stuff to the side. Uh-huh. I'm gonna be audacious enough to give myself over to those children. Yeah. That's a great act of audacity. Yeah. Yeah. And I the, this whole conversation I just kept thinking which which day I would like to be part of the like which day would be my my good day at work would would it be the day that I'm getting all the checklists and I'm nailing all the the things on the schedule and I've gotten through everything I need to get through and I've got some observations so I can plan an activity tomorrow that I, that's fine you know I'm not saying yeah, that, yeah. that you're doing something wrong if that's how your day is because certainly I do spend my days that way sometimes but but then this day of beauty where we're seeing the love and we're seeing the humanity and we're seeing that we get to be part of something that's really an honor. Um, Mm -hmm. just, uh, that I'm just getting emotional thinking about it and I can't even put a sentence together to end that thought. But, um, I I think that's just a beautiful way to think about our time with children Mm. and the opportunities that we have when we're spending days with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well said. Oh, <laughs> was there? So I, I know that, that we talked mostly in our prep emails about observation and we've kind of meandered a little bit. Were there, were there other things you wanted to make sure that, that you said or stuff you really, really wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, thanks for asking that. Um, no, I love how we've meandered our way around these really core ideas that, yeah. that I hope are at the heart of the, the work all of us are doing in whatever landscape we're working in, whether uh-huh. it's a Head Start classroom or a lab school setting or a, a third grade classroom or <laughs> an adult an adult classroom, a college yeah. classroom, but that um, that we all come to it from that place of humility and curiosity and delight mm-hmm. and um, a willingness to join our attention to yeah. the others. That I think of the landscape we're in right now as a country um, with the call to say um, Black Lives Matter, that um, we can um, we can 
center black lives in all our conversations. We can center the work of justice in all our conversations um, and all our actions. And, and I think all of that grows from and is supported by this act of um, saying my, my primary commitment is to be curious and to be humble, to be in a place of empathy, to join my attention to your attention, mm -hmm. rather than assuming that I've got it figured out. And right. that that, that um, has so many reverberations. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a point where I have been shaken. Like I really had reached a point of complacency where I felt like I had done my ally work and mm -hmm. uh, my anti-bias and um, uh, I've, I've had to revisit that and and admit that I was not being very humble <laughs> in my responses to some of those things. Humility, I think, is hard, especially in a quote-unquote education setting because culturally it's such a top-down power imbalance when we think about how people learn from each other. Oh yeah, yep, and and that we we white folks have um, been at the top of the top down for, for so long. long. And yeah. I think of, again, the, these examples we've been talking about of uh, how we um, educators have been trained to see children's behaviors as good behavior or bad behavior. Uh -huh. And who gets assigned the bad behavior label? It's uh -huh. black boys yes. more often than it's any other person. And yeah. you know, just beginning to really hold those questions, I think will contribute to this shift that we're wanting to make in our observation, yeah. in our documentation, the stories we tell, the heart we bring to our work. I um, got to listen to a, a teacher of mine and someone I learned from tremendously, Nadia Taylor, who's a faculty member at um, Las Positas College uh -huh. in the Bay Area. And, um, and she called so strongly for this act of um, centering the idea of, of the of blackness, centering black lives, centering uh -huh. black children's lives, centering on black educators' lives, centering that in our conversations and seeing how that um, shakes us up in all the ways we need to be shaken up and, yeah. and sets us on a course towards um, some restorative justice that, again, is all braided together with all these ideas we've been talking about, right. a way of being in the world. Right. And, and I think we'll be, as you said, uh, come come more easily to us if we have that habit of curiosity and empathy mm -hmm. and um and and that shared attention i think that's a really uh, great way of of phrasing that um and, and shared attention means different things for different people in, in right, different right. different fields but just that idea that i'm going to give my attention to what a child is giving their attention to mm -hmm. um can be transformative in a lot of ways yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. And I, I want to just clarify before we close, as I'm sure. using that language of humility, to, that's, a, that's me centering my whiteness in that conversation that I need to be humble um, yeah. that in this conversation. And there's, there's other um, dispositions, other, um, other presences to be brought into the conversation yeah. by people of color, by black and brown people. Sure. Um, I'm not, I want to be sure I'm clear that I'm not saying everyone should be in that place of humility that in this yeah that it's a disposition we all want to cultivate but especially in conversations of racial justice it's, it's white folks who yeah. have a role of humility yes i certainly met I, myself I when, I, yeah, when yeah. i was yeah. when i was talking yeah. about that because that's yeah. um something I'm, I'm trying to work on more um well i really really want to thank you for this book 
And this conversation, um, I, I got it when it first came out and excitedly started it and then realized it was, it was heavy and it was asking some things <laughs> of me. So I, I initially, like I had all my, a bunch of friends and we were going to do a book group and we were going to read it in a month. And then I was like, no, <laughs> and honestly, it's taken me about a year to get to a point where I felt like I could even identify one aspect that I mm. want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so, so I, well, um, I'm grateful for it. Oh, thank you. There is just a project just beginning. Um, for folks who are interested in reading the book and being in conversation with folks um, in some small groups of uh -huh. what we're calling study for action groups. And people okay. can learn more about that on the exchange website. It's, um, a, a, it's a, a way to get folks connected yeah. in conversation groups across the country. So oh, that's great. I'll have to make sure that I link that information yeah. when this podcast yeah. comes out so people can find that. That sounds great. amazing. Um, all right. Well, again, thank you so much. Heather, thank and, you so much. And <laughs> it's been fun to talk. I love the energy of this conversation and the way it continues to expand my thinking. So oh, thank good. you. Well, That's you're welcome gift. back anytime you want to <laughs> have another you. conversation. <laughs> All right. And thanks everybody for listening uh, to another episode and we'll see you again in a week. Bye everybody. That's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.